Hey everyone, this is Matt with another Overflow Pod in our Unshakable series. And we've been looking at Daniel's fourth test, how did we respond when asked to do the impossible? So far, we've seen Daniel go through four steps. First, don't panic. No matter what happens, just relax. Don't panic. Don't freak out. Just don't panic. Very important. Second, get the facts. Understand what's going on. Third, ask for time. And fourth, have people praying for you. So those are the four that we've covered in the previous pods. And now we're going to let's just jump right into number five, which is pray and expect God to give supernatural help. You see, when you're facing an impossible situation in your life, Daniel's going to teach you how to do this. Pray and expect God to do something supernatural. And when I say supernatural help, I'm talking about the kind of help that you don't have on your own power. It's not dependent on your logic, your wisdom, your talent. It isn't going to happen unless God does it. And you need that supernatural help when you don't have the money, when you're deeply in debt and you're about to file for bankruptcy. You need God's help when you don't have the connections, when you don't have the education, when you don't have the answers, when you don't have the ideas to take your business to the next level, when you don't have what your competitors have, when you're not smart enough, you need supernatural help. You pray and you ask God and expect God to give you that help. 2,500 years ago, while Daniel's a young Hebrew boy in Babylon as a prisoner of war, being trained to be an advisor, there's another guy over here in Judah, in Israel. And they didn't take everybody as prisoners of war. They left some people there. And one of the guys who was left was a guy named Jeremiah. And he was not a bullfrog. Okay, I'm dating myself with that reference. He was a prophet. Jeremiah lives at the same time Daniel does. And Jeremiah knows what's going on in Babylon. And God says this to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 33.3, call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. That's exactly what Daniel needs. He needs God to show him what he could never figure out on his own. He could guess for a thousand years and never guess the king's dream because dreams are crazy. There are some things in your life you could guess and work and pray and try all your life and never figure out. What you need is to call to God and says, God, help. (laughs) And he'll show you things that you've never figured out on your own. The Bible says that we don't have because we don't ask. Over 20 times in the New Testament, God says, you're commanded 20 times, ask, ask, ask. Ask anything in my name. Ask and it shall be opened to you. Knock and the door will open. Ask, seek, knock. That's ask, A-S-K. That's what it spells. It's just saying the same thing three different ways. Ask, seek, knock. I want you to ask for it. So many things you don't, you've already missed out on in life simply because you've never asked God for it. God says, call to me, I will answer you. Some of those problems you thought, I'm never going to figure this out because you didn't ask God. You could have said, God, show me the great and wonderful things because there's no way I can figure it out on my own. But there's one condition. When you pray, notice I said pray, and expect God. Expect God to work. That's faith. If you pray, then don't think that God's going to do anything. You say, oh, God, I need this money. I need this person. I need this opportunity. I need this health. I need this answer. I need this solution. But I don't think God's going to really give it to me because God doesn't help me out. 
don't even bother. Just give up. Because if you're going in with that attitude, God doesn't answer that kind of prayer. God doesn't respond to your whining or your griping or your complaining. He's never moved by that. But God moves instantly when you trust him. He moves when you have faith. He moves when you expect him to. Because it honors God. He's your loving Heavenly Father. The Bible says if you, being an imperfect father or mother, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much does God know how to give better gifts to you? And he's perfect. You know, as a father, I love giving my kids stuff. When I was a little kid and still growing and immature, it was all about the presents that I would get, especially Christmas, the presents under the tree. That doesn't thrill me at all anymore. The presents under the tree, to me, are the least important things at Christmas. It's watching everybody, especially my kids, unwrap the stuff that my wife bought for them under my name. As you get older, all of us feel that way. When you come to God and say, Daddy, Father, Heavenly Father, I'm going to trust you. Don't you think he'll move heaven and earth to get things done? The Bible says if he loved you enough to send Jesus to die for you on the cross to solve your biggest problem, eternal salvation, anything else you bring to him is pretty much small potatoes in comparison. It's minor. All your problems are minor comparing to God forgiving you of all your sins. So trust him. You got to expect him to answer as Daniel did. That's number five. Pray and expect God to do something supernatural. Six, worship God. Now, a lot of us think that worship is music. Music is one way to worship, but there are a thousand other ways to worship. Worship simply means focusing on God. That's all it means. So anytime I turn my attention to God, that's called worship. When I express my love to God, worship. You don't have to be in church to worship. You can worship God in your car. You can worship it in the locker room, in the gym at school, or outside on a walk. What it means is I get the focus off my problem and I get my focus onto God. I get the focus off the thing that's scaring me to death that I'm tempted to panic over but get my focus on the solution. I stop looking at the difficulty, the impossible problem, and I start looking at the immutable God. So I worship God. And this is what Daniel did. After he asked his friends to pray, he then goes and spends all night praying. Daniel chapter 2 verse 19 says, During the night the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. So God just put it in his mind. I know what he dreamed. I saw it, thinks Daniel. He just put that thought in my mind. Not only do I know what he dreamed, I know what it means. God told me. It means I know more than Nebuchadnezzar. I know not only what he dreamed, but what it means. Because it all came from God. He's never going to get that on his own. The verse continues. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. This passage shows you how to pray in a crisis. When you're faced with an impossible situation, you need to pray the same three things that Daniel prayed. When his life was on the line. And it's about... When he's about to get assassinated, and if he doesn't come up with an answer, when he's asked to do the impossible, he's up all night. By the way, have you ever stayed up all night to pray about anything or even half the night? Have you ever, ever stayed up to the point where something was so important that it was worth it? No, maybe. Prayer reveals what's important to you. If it's really important, you're going to pray for it. Granted, if you were being threatened with execution the next day, you probably would stay up all night to pray. But would it take? Does it take you being near death to stay up all night to pray? 
Is there anything worth praying all night for? Like the direction of your kids' lives, the success of your marriage, the fulfillment of your career. Is there anything in your life that you would ever stay up all night to pray about? God says, I'm here. You could ask. So here's how to pray in a crisis. When you're asked to do the impossible, these are the three things you have to focus on. Number one, praise God for who he is. Focus on who God is. God, you're loving, you're kind, you're gracious. You know everything. You're all powerful. Nothing is too hard for you. You're faithful. You've been there when I needed you. You're a forgiving God. You're a gracious God. You're an omnipotent, all-powerful. So you focus on the attributes, the nature, the character of God. You praise God for who he is. Daniel 2 verse 20 says, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He says when you pray, say, God, I'm praising your name. Now what's so big a big deal about God's name? In the Ten Commandments, we're told, you know, don't kill people, don't commit adultery. And then he says, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Don't misuse my name. Wow, that's that important. And some of us need to stop saying God's name in vain. You need to break that habit. Stop using it as a cuss word and fill in all the time. What's the big deal about God's name? In the New Testament, Jesus says, I'm going to teach you how to pray. It's called the Lord's Prayer. And this is how he starts. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The very first thing. Hallowed be your name. That means honor to your name, respect to your name, treat with value, be your name. And when Jesus gets ready to go back to heaven, one of the last things he says to the disciples, his followers, he says, I want you to go around all the world and make disciples. And you're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What's the big deal about Jesus' name, the Spirit's name, the Father's name? Name represents character. God's name represents God's character, represents who he is. So it is very important. So if we're a little flippant and casual with God's name, we should probably stop that because that's not what we should be doing. So praising God for who he is. Second, honor God for what he does. This is the difference between God's character and God's actions. Daniel 2 verse 21, 22, he changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. See, even in your darkest days when you can't see ahead, because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God, you can see what I can't see. You can hear what I can't hear. You know what I don't know. You're God. Daniel specifically says you control the weather. The times, the seasons, you know, the spring, the summer, the winter. You control human events. You know everything. You reveal mysteries. So honor God's character and honor his actions. Then third, you thank him for helping you. That's the third part of the prayer. Is you thank God for helping you. Daniel verse two, chapter two, verse twenty-three, the next verse. Thank you and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So God, I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. That's the third part of your prayer. Thanking God for what he's done for you in the past, what he's doing for you right now, and what he's going to do for you tomorrow. So that's the three things you need when you pray in a crisis. 
You honor God's character, honor God's actions, and then thank him. That's how you pray in a crisis. So you got those three things. So let's go back to the list. The seventh thing that Daniel does. He used what God shows him to save other people. When God blesses me, what are we going to do? Are we going to hide it, keep it to ourselves, or save other people? God wants to save you from your impossible situation, but he doesn't want to just do you alone. He wants to save other people, your coworkers, your friends. God wants to save your family. God wants to save the people you work with. Daniel 2.24. Then Daniel went to Arioch. Remember, he was the guy whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon and said to him, don't execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I'll interpret his dream for him. Can you see how Daniel's life would make an incredible movie? I mean, just this one scene. It's pretty cool. You know, Hollywood gets stuck at the Exodus. You know, Charlton Heston with Moses and the Ten Commandments. And maybe they make it to David, do a couple things on him, and then they skip all the way to Jesus. But Daniel would be a pretty good movie. So he runs into the palace, and the story continues. Verse 25. Arioch, remember the executioner guy, took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Now, there's reason to be skeptical here. The king's like, can you really do this? You're just an advisor. You're young. You're not even Babylonian. I mean, not yet. I mean, you're going through my plan and everything, but you're pretty low on the totem pole right now. And Daniel's reply to the king's question gives us the eighth step. When you're in a crisis and you're praying and you're asking God to give you supernatural help, when you get the answer, number eight, you point people to God. Don't take the credit for yourself. Because you didn't think up the solution. God gave it to you. So God says, I'm going to give you the solution, but I want to get credit for it. God wants the glory, not you. And this is exactly what Daniel does. Verse 27 to 30. Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But, there's a big but. So he's saying, so what I'm telling you isn't coming from man. I didn't make this up. It's not from me. But, verse continues, there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. You know, I don't know about you, but if I was 17 and I, and I got to go in and save hundreds of lives, you know, and make the king really, really happy, I probably want to take at least a little credit of it. Like, I asked God and he told me. But, you know, but Daniel doesn't do that. He points people to God. He doesn't take any of the credit. I probably would have taken a little bit of the credit. Like, if God didn't speak to me, you wouldn't have gotten this answer or something like that. And that's kind of like what we look at things. But Daniel just points it all to God. And if you do that, God will bless your ways in life that you can't possibly imagine. If you always point credit back to God, God can do great things through the person who doesn't care who gets the credit. It's the way it is in life, too. The person who always wants to get credit, you know, they're looked down upon. We have to push this to God because he's the one who did it all. Yeah, God used me, but it's all about God, not about me. You ever heard that line anywhere? It's not about you, it's about God. That's a bold witness. That's true evangelism. That's a true sharing of the Christian faith. It's all about God. You don't do anything. The verse continues. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in your days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind 
as you are lying in bed are these. So here we go. He's going to tell him the dream. As your majesty was laying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. In other words, it has nothing to do with me. First, let me tell you your dream. Daniel said, in your dream, you saw a giant statue of a man and it was very frightening. The head was made out of gold and the upper body was made out of silver. And the midpoint, the belly and the torso and thighs were made out of bronze. The legs of the statue were made out of iron. The feet were made out of clay mixed with iron. And Nebuchadnezzar says, you got it right. That's exactly right. But that's not all your dream. He said, then in your dream, you saw this giant rock, this giant boulder cut from a mountain by supernatural means. And all of a sudden, it's hurled at the statue. It hits the feet that are mixed that are iron mixed with clay, and it shatters the feet, and the whole statue falls over. Nebuchadnezzar says, yep, yep, keep going, man, this is amazing. And he said, and then when the statue falls over, it breaks into a thousand pieces, and the wind comes along and blows it all away. And then he said, that rock that was there that knocked down the statue becomes a great mountain, and that mountain covers the whole earth. Nebuchadnezzar goes like, that's it. That's it. That's my dream. Daniel continues. I'm going to tell you the meaning of it. God was showing you the future of the world. And he was showing you the empires that are going to come after you. The gold head, that's you. That's a Babylonian empire. Big empire. Most powerful nation at this time. The one that's going to come after you is silver. That's the Persian empire. Now he doesn't say the specific empires. This is my interpretation of it. The Medes and the Persian, the Medo-Persian Empire. But silver is not as good as gold. So it's not going to be as strong as your empire was. Then after that, you're going to have the bronze. This is the third empire. He's talking about Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire. He's predicting in hundreds of years in advance. Then he says that one's going to be replaced by the Iron Empire. And iron is the strongest of all. That's the Roman Empire. It's going to be bigger than them all, including yours. But then he says, but the feet are iron and clay mixed together. That's because the empire is going to eventually start to crumble just like the Roman Empire did, because clay and iron don't mix together. And some parts of the kingdom will be very strong like the iron, and some will be weak like clay. And that empire is going to fall apart too. But he said, here's the big key. That rock that turns into the mountain that covers the whole earth, that's the ultimate empire. That's God's empire. That's called the kingdom of God. And one day God is going to establish his kingdom, and all the man-made empires of the world are going to crash and burn and crumble and blow off like dust. And it's only God's kingdom that will never be destroyed. And that is going to cover everything. Nobody's going to be able to conquer it. It's going to last forever. And that's how history is going to end. And God has chosen to let you know about it. Wow. <laughs> so what's Nebuchadnezzar's response to this? He's saying, oh, you're crazy. No, verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel. Now think about that. A king, the king of the most powerful nation in the world, falls down before a teenager and he paid him honor and offered him an order that an offering and incense be presented to him verse 47 the king said to daniel surely your god is the god of gods and the lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries for you are able to reveal this mystery that's quite a testimony from a pagan king so who's getting honored here is it daniel no god is verse 48 let's see how the story ends here 
Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. The kid's 17, 8 years old, and he's now head guy in charge of Babylon. The mayor, if you will. What's going on? He's it's called a promotion. See, every time you pass the test that God makes sure you get promoted, he made Daniel rule over the entire province of Babylon chief over all the wise men but what's what seems impossible in your life right now what's the thing that's got you panicked what is it that causes you to stay awake at night is it debt out of work is it your health all of these impossible problems are piling up against you it's never going to work out have you stayed up all night and prayed about it what is it that seems impossible in your life got this big deal coming up and it's such an opportunity. It's a giant contract. If I could just close this sale, it would be clean sailing for years to come, but it's impossible for me to get it done in time. Have you asked God to help you and expect him to help you and trusted him to help you out? You know what? He will. We take these steps. We can do the impossible when asked because ultimately we rely on God. Well, I hope that encouraged you today and gave you what you need to do when faced with an impossible situation, an impossible task. God bless, and I'll see you in the next pod.